Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everybody welcome back to podside uh I, I think this is the first episode i've ever done where i had like a moment of blank at the moment and i was talking so so a red loader <laughs> so very very professional guys anyway uh i am here with uh carlo how's it going carlo it's going well and we are very fortunate to have paul here with us from utopian horizons thank you so much for coming paul yeah thanks for having me on Absolutely. And we are uh, we are covering a very special movie, which uh, started out as a, an extremely dark dystopian novella, and they just 80s the crap out of it. And that would be The Running Man. And um, I'm I'm pretty excited because it combines two things that I, I like thinking about a lot, which is uh, dystopias and absurdity so um i'm hoping this will be a good time uh i guess we should kick it off with with background um when have you guys seen this before when did you see it what's your relationship to it that sort of thing um i'd seen it uh before i watched it again uh, last night i'd seen it once in i think i i think i was at university so pr- probably around like 2007 um all i remember is be- <laughs> all i remember is being quite high at the time and going very deep with my analysis of it <laughs> um that's, that's uh yeah, and I also could being remember being vaguely disturbed by the kind of um, sexual politics of it, which maybe we 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 talk about at some point. But I, I could, yeah, apart from that, I could remember almost nothing about it. So, um, yeah, just revisited it last night for the first time in a long time. How about you, Carlo? I, um, you know, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the novella, and I have a distinct memory of holding like the, uh, so this was written just to clear it out was written at the time by a so-called Richard Bachman. And, um, this was a pseudonym or a nom de plume or whatever that Stephen King was trying out, um, unbeknownst to a lot of people and sending out like these novels to see if they would, they would sell, uh, on merit rather than, you know, on name alone. And I believe that this, uh, this one sold like 25,000 copies <laughs> and then sold like four times that when it came, uh, it became public that it was Stephen King after, after all. Um, so the reason I go into that is that sort of lengthy, uh, pretext is to just say that I am not sure. Cause I, I, I have a distinct memory of holding the Bachman books collection, which is like a bright orange and blah, blah, uh, thick ass book. And I don't know if I ever read this one, the running man. Uh, 
I, which, which I is would, very strange to me. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't sound like you. I mean, you're you're a you're a uh, you're a ferocious consumer of crap books. So I, I would have thought. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Running Man is interesting uh, in terms of the novella because it's it's probably the least King King I've ever read. I mean it's mm. it's very it's very concerned with uh, with uh, economic inequalities. It um, it's certainly the most nine eleven story he's ever written. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, um, I, my apologies for the spoiler if somebody here was just thinking about writing it. But, I mean, it, it ends with a guy deliberately crashing a plane into a building for revenge. Yes. Okay. And so, so, so – Sorry, I was just going to say, is it, so uh, it's quite different to the film I'm uh, <laughs> hearing. Yeah, the, the – um, the the framing device is very much the same in that uh, you right. know you're dealing with a dystopia and there is this game show that you know is used to distract people and like the longer you stay alive on it the more money you make like you make a hundred bucks an hour for your your family until you die right. uh, and so that that was that was the way it was set up there and it was a lot it was a big talk about the the haves and have nots and how the rich were manipulating the poor. And, you know, would people ever, ever rise up? And is this the moment? And I mean, honestly, he really should have put this novella under a different name because like, I, I don't, I don't particularly consider Stephen King conservative, but he was certainly paying a lot of attention to things that he generally ignores. And I, while I don't always agree with his conclusions in this, I, I think, I think he was asking the right questions and, that's what makes this movie so weird because it's it's like I, I have you ever seen the they they give them the children where they give each one a section to draw a monster or something and then at the end you let them see the pieces and like the back's a whale and the middle is a tiger and the front's a chicken you know it's like a little <laughs> game you play with kids that's what happened to this movie i think it's like stephen king wrote this dystopian novella and then somebody else was like let's really focus on an age game show vibe here and the results i mean i don't know how you'd get it anyway else i mean i i i agree with you that this is definitely like the the film i i don't remember if i saw it in theaters uh but i definitely saw it like in heavy rotation like on hbo or whatever yeah i think i I saw it 40 times on hbo (laughs) yep well it was on all the time and you know we were we were high and bored what are you gonna do well, I mean, and then the funny thing is that I haven't seen this in more than 20 years, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And I, oh my God, I, I was just having like the, the wildest time just rewatching this because I was like, oh, wow, this is like so. And to your point, yes, it's probably an imperfect adaptation of a Stephen King book. The only perfect adaptation is actually Maximum Overdrive which is based on the short story trucks. The short story trucks is amazing. Maximum overdrive, uh, is not. (laughs) And that's all I have to say about that. That, That's fun. It's fun. I won't say that. I I won't say that it's not fun, but it is not good. Um, and, and the funny thing is that I think that you, you expressed exactly what the vibe of this is. And, you know, to really nail it, uh, they, they hired Mr. Congeniality, 
who would uh, have probably been canceled several times over, uh, uh, you know, given things as they are today and the, the, the how we've progressed in certain areas. Uh, Rich, uh, not Richard Dawkins. <laughs> Richard Dawson, I should say. Yeah. Uh, Richard, yeah. Not, not, not Dawkins. No, it's fine. Yes, yeah, this long rant about atheism uh, in the middle of the. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and and the you want you want to know what the funny thing is? I made a note to myself. It's Richard Dawson, not Dawkins, and I did not like. My brain said, "Nah, it's Dawkins." <laughs> We're running with this one. Uh, just some more professionalism, folks. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, Mr. Family Feud himself uh, appears in this film as a completely villainous, like he is a piece of shit in this movie. Oh, it is amazing just, to watch. It's all scenery chewing with him. Like there's, he doesn't have a human moment in the whole thing. When he's not betraying somebody, he's shrieking at his underlings, he's smirking, he's lying. Like he's... Uh, it's sort of fascinating to me because he is set up as the central villain of this, and it doesn't take a lot of thought to realize that he can't be the central villain of it. He's a distraction from the actual villainy. It's like there's no there's no clear indication that there's a rebellion against the government going on at all. It's like a, it's a rebellion against a network television station. Well, it, I feel like it, to your point that we've discussed before. Uh, we, we've touched up on before, uh, Pete, regarding, uh, I believe if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Stephen King was, uh, like a Republican at some point in, in time in his past. And he has since, you know, just gone, you know, full lib. We've all read his Twitter. It's not, it's not a big surprise. Uh, but it's funny because it seems that Bachman's persona may have been much more of a conservative type of guy. And so you get, even as a pale imitation of a conservative author, you still get that fascination with economics and how it works and yada, yada, yada that we've discussed before. Uh, Can I, oh, go the, ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. No, I just want to say on, on, uh, on the kind of the vision of dystopia that this, this film has, um, I thought it was kind of interesting that um, it felt like quite an, uh, yeah, it didn't feel like a, a consistent, like the idea of where this TV show comes from, because this dystopia, right, is classic. I would say it's from the kind of 1984 tradition in the sense of, you know, uh, heavy state control, like police state, um, you know, paramilitary zones, um, the, all this kind of thing. And, and it's Work worth camps. knowing that this is, what sorry? Oh, I said work camps. I was just supporting yes, the yes. example. Yes, and and yeah, that's a good example as well because it's worth noting this is pre um, Berlin Wall falling. So this is this is where um, communism is still very much there as a spectre of of a kind of um, a kind of a state control version of dystopia, very present in the American consciousness. But the the idea that out of that kind of society comes this tv show like this 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 um very kind of glitzy um s surface level uh like consumerist uh, uh, version of, of of um of reality this 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 kind of thing coming out of that that doesn't there feels to be like a big disconnect to me like a, a totalitarian state um dystopia where 
yeah, you're not allowed to like buy clothes and music and, and all this stuff because they're, they're, they're illegal. They're on the black market. And out of that comes this TV show. That doesn't seem right to me. It feels like this, the, the kind of critiques that people would typically be making of TV and this kind of TV would inherently be linked to like the superficiality that comes from consumerism and capitalism and this kind of stuff. But that's all completely absent. Like capitalism doesn't feature at all. So yeah, I feel like, I don't know if you get what I'm trying to, I don't know if I'm being clear on what I'm trying to say. It just doesn't feel like it doesn't come out of that kind of dystopia. Well, and there's a lot of funny little moments that, I mean, they aren't a big deal in the overall arc of the film, but I had trouble accepting them. Like, uh, in the middle of the game show, he started passing out um, uh, uh, the home game of the running man. And, like, these people live in tents, man. There are no homes. What are you even talking about, the home game? You know? And, I mean, obviously that's not important, but, like, sort of the the, the division of, of class here is so stark as a visual, but they don't well, I, do anything with it. Well, I think that uh, – and I was just taking a look – because there is there there are cutaway scenes uh, while the game is underway to different audiences. Um, I did want to point out, and I don't think I think it's on purpose, but I don't think that it's uh, something that you're hit over the head with. Uh, that we're supposed to view the audience of the Running Man game, um, uh, the primary audience, you know, who mm-hmm. it's really for. Uh, are are all either uh you know sort of yuppie ish people uh, mm. like you see in the bar or the ones that are in the studio audience which are all uh they they could all be uh, considered you know sort of like the uh, older demographic that votes mm. you know and i think it's very uh, much on purpose um i i i i did want to point out that i did have the the idea in my head like how do you even play the running man at home and then had a horrifying idea of <laughs> just exactly what a, what family game night could become, which is a Stanford prison experiment type of thing. You know? <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do think that um, they don't necessarily make a big distinction. They do make a distinction in who is like, for instance, the, the people that are making bets versus receiving prizes uh, because every once in a while, as the game show progresses in the film, uh, Damon Killian, who is uh, uh, Dawson's character, uh, has it's sort of like one of those game shows where you know the more time passes, you get more prizes, and you know, you get a toaster and this and that. Um, I I do think that uh, apart from that uh like or, or rather uh, different from that uh what paul was mentioning regarding like contraband um i the way i interpreted it is that it was um ubiquitous like anything and everything was uh it could or could uh it could be one day perfectly fine and the next day could be contraband and so anyone had contraband especially uh when uh arnold's character ben richards uh, goes through uh, Conchita Alonso's drawers and like pulls out like oh contraband clothing and whatnot, which means mm. which is also like a, a a type of cachet, you know, like oh you can afford to buy the contraband stuff and hide it. Uh, that I mean that was my interpretation of it. It I don't think that it's necessarily supposed to be spelled out in that way. 
uh, and they don't make an attempt to do so, but uh, that's the way I saw it at least. Yeah, I think it's interesting the 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 kind of the representation of this audience um and like you say it, it kind of crosses these boundaries like we see the the kind of people at the bottom of society who, as you said are, are making bets the yuppies the the tv audience and it's funny because it's like um i think you you've kind of already suggested this pete like like who's the villain of this film it's tv basically um that that's what it is but but then at the same time you have all these people across all these uh different class boundaries um race as well we've got people of all races being shown in these shots women men um so you you have this idea that tv is the, the villain but it, it almost replicates this idea of like tv as uh being a kind of unifying force like um like a like uh, and, it, and they they could have done they could have I, I don't think they do you could use this as a, a critique of the idea of TV being used to create a narrative that that kind of creates a an idea of national interest and, and shared goals that kind of brings these disparate groups together in in service of of whatever it is that the powerful want but but really what we get is is the, the, this whole audience of across class boundaries and race boundaries being brought along on the same journey through tv so they all end up uh on the right side at the end through tv through what they experience through tv so they it, it wants to like kind of criticize tv but it kind of ends up replicating this idea of tv as like a yeah a, a unifying force and and the 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 medium through which like truth is revealed and 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 the the kind of good guys win so again it, it's kind of incoherent i think in that sense yeah i Wait, i go ahead i was just gonna say that i, I you know the funny thing is that and i don't i don't know that i read uh, Johnny Mnemonic. I do remember that the end of the movie sort of ends on the same type of note. Uh, same thing with They Live. Uh, sorry, folks. Spoilers. Slight spoilers for They Live if you haven't seen it. Uh, it, it all has to do with transmitting the truth, quote, unquote. Uh, yeah, Strange Days uh, as well, I think. Yeah, Strange Days as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I, I think it's it's more of a sort of almost a cyberpunk uh, affectation that, mm. uh, of the period of like the late eighties, early nineties, where, uh, to a certain degree, it's, it's, there is, it's taken as an article of faith that, uh, that if you only got the right information that somehow you would, you too would, uh, rise up against your oppressors, which, um, I believe that's the mission statement of like, uh, isn't it radio free America? <laughs> But uh, I'm not saying that the running man is not, but it sort of replicates that sort of mentality um, that somehow all you need to do is get the truth out there and people will, you know, oh, they'll decide on their own to rise up and, you know, throw off their chains or whatever. Um, so, I mean, I, I do believe that you're you're correct in assessing that. I do think that it's also like a, a, a rather easy uh, way to you know, tie up loose ends at, at the end of a particular you know, sci-fi type movie. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's a great, it's a great day to machina, you know, to say, okay. And, and we put it over the TV and it's all over curtains. Yeah. One, yep. Yep. one thing I saw here that I am, uh, when I watched this for, for the, I don't know, whatever time yesterday, um, 
I I found myself thinking about uh, parallels between it and the Carpenter movie They Live. I mean, it was like knocking down the station, uh, having having all of the action occur in the same place as the television station, the idea that you need to have everybody come awake. And I sort of, as I was watching, developed the working theory that whoever wrote this had just seen They Live <laughs> and was doing a crappy job of it. And it turns out They Live came out a year after The Running Man. Huh. So, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I mean the, the 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 short story they live is based off of which I I'm going eight to o'clock in the morning. It's eight o'clock. Okay, I I wasn't sure if it's six or eight, but uh, it's eight o'clock in the morning. I haven't read it, so I, I can't really speak to it. But that's pretty old too. So yes, yeah, like sixty three. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Before me, yeah. Uh, I yeah. did want to point out. Um, so. Uh, it's it's a, a very briefly touched upon um, because I, I was just thinking about what Paul mentioned regarding like, oh, the, the villain is TV and it sort of takes center stage. Haha. Um, but uh, honestly, the there is right at the beginning, the scene where um, where Killian uh, picks up the phone and asks he needs to talk to uh, the Department of Justice has given the okay. So this is like they're inferring like a public part uh, public private partnership type of situation mm-hmm. where the network that runs the Running Man is actually in charge of uh, sort of or has a contract with the Department of Justice. And then there's a brief phone call I think after that where Killian uh, has to talk further up the chain and he's like, well then get me, get me the president or better yet, get me the president's agent. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and this is in 87. So we know exactly what type of a dig that is. Uh, you know, so it, it is sort of funny because it is completely washing the dystopia through the lens of what broadcast TV or Hollywood ideas would be and it does provide some very interesting little nuggets like that yeah i, th- I think it quite often kind of comes close to something that like misses the the, the point that because it, like even in that case that, that you mentioned i feel like it's pre- so that yeah you but it's he's talking to the 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 um entertainment wing of the justice department or, or whatever it is but it, <laughs> it's, it's still it's still presented as if he's kind of he it feels more like he's in control it feels like he's manipulating and he's calling the shots and i feel like this when we think about like how media or tv um kind of works in concert with uh politics like how they're interrelated i think there's something uh a far more critical value to to look to look at there like the way that that it's not like the the media does doesn't control politics and politics doesn't control the media like there's a there's a more complex relationship there where they they kind of have shared interests and at, at times they prop each other up and, and, at, and at times and at times they don't and and i feel like yeah like i say in this it's like okay tv is is um corrupting everything tv's in control of everything and i feel like it kind of it's getting towards something but it kind of misinterprets it or missing misses the point um like I say this again, going back to what I said before, like similarly with the, with the, its idea of dystopia as being all about like 
really totalitarian enforced con- control and it's like um control under like capitalism it's more sophisticated than that <laughs> like ideology is more sophisticated now they've, they've learned that you don't you don't just like uh yeah ban things and and uh and uh ruthlessly crack down on stuff uh, ideology is uh, cleverer than that it's more sophisticated than that um so yeah it, it kind of simplifies things and misses the point sometimes i think i guess my my i well one i agree with you 100 percent. it's it seems to me like we all saw the same movie which isn't always the case when we all watch the same movie you know but <laughs> since, since we do have that lineup well my question is are are we dealing with with evil or stupidity here like when when the director or the screenwriter sat down with this, did he understand what he was doing and not, or not doing, or was this just sort of a product of the time where where it it just wasn't expected to have any sort of social or economic analysis of what was happening in a dystopia? Because I feel like people naturally nav- navigate this stuff a lot better now. That may be naive. No, no, I, I think I think now, even even if like yeah, even if like the the p- political will isn't really there, if you have something in this kind of realm, like you know, sci-fi kind of cyberpunky or whatever, they're going to talk about capitalism at least at a superficial level. Like they're going to deal with with corporate power in some way, uh, even if they're they're, they're kind of not. Even if when you get down to it, then they don't have a particularly radical take. Like they're they're not going to completely ignore that. I think. I think that's what what's interesting about this is how how absent capitalism is from this. How absent consumerism is. How how absent is class is from this. I mean, we've mentioned stuff like the 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 yuppies, which are they're of course like an. Ex- Again, it doesn't really make sense in the context of the world they set out with all this this stuff banned and, and on the black market. Like yuppies is meant to be a complete expression of kind of superficiality and consumerism and and obsession with wealth and and all this stuff. But they they are like when when we get towards the the end of the film, like there's no suggestion that we have different reactions from different classes. Like the whole point of this is that the the um this game show is meant to be a distraction so that the oppressed don't rise up like we don't see like why are the powerful on the same side as the oppressed at the end of it like do do, do, you you know what i'm saying like there's no coherent idea there's no power dynamics there's no um there's no acknowledgement that capitalism even exists as as a thing that consumerism is what is behind the trends that it wants to to, not just consumerism but that those kind of trends are behind things it, it wants to that, that it wants to criticize and i don't know whether that's like uh like a deliberate unwillingness to to name the demon or i suspect it might just be a kind of uh blind spot um that 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 capitalism is 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 considered inherently yeah that's just the the nature of america like that's what it is i, I don't know if they necessarily see that as a as a thing that that that, that might be a problem i don't know well, I, one I, I was just going to say that i think and 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 i'm going to come at this from a different angle because first off this is you know this is a product of the 1980s uh 
where mm-hmm. sort of the anti-communist, the anti-socialist uh, and all that good stuff is, you know, in full effect. This is Reagan's America. He's in second, you know, second term. Uh, mm-hmm. It's f- everyone's super happy about this, even though there are plenty of people that, you know, for instance, we had during the 80s, a huge plague happening and nobody cared about it because it was happening to people that don't show up on TV, for instance. And I, I do think that there is something there that they're trying to uh, go for. And I don't know whether, you know, I, I haven't gone back and looked at the scripts or if there was any original scripts, even if that existed, you know, if, if they kept copies of, you know, whatever the original script was, if it was any more radical than this. Um, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm okay with what we get here to a certain extent. I mean, it is a movie. Uh, I don't think that they're going to bring up capitalism because the, the, the writer side of me immediately goes, well, what's the ironic punishment, right? What's, what's the, the story thing that's going to get me to someone who, who's really the protagonist is a cop that gets caught up in the same justice system that he's involved with. Right. So, uh, yeah, Ben Richardson, you are the canceled man, not the running man. You are a cop, (laughs) sir. Um, well, I mean, the, that's how it starts. You know, he's the cop that said that, Oh, I'm not going to follow orders, which, you know, it's very, very optimistic and naive. Quick side note here. What the fuck did he think they were going to have him do when they sent him in a military helicopter covered in guns to go see a food <laughs> riot? Was it was it a photo op? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing here, I, I have to wonder because, uh, one, you know, we, we don't know exactly what it is. It could have been a, just a routine air patrol that then gets diverted. But, you know, that's just the pervasiveness of, you know, militarizing the police. Um the, the the film doesn't really set that up mainly because it's interested in framing it at the moment of, uh, you know, what is going to happen differently in this type of a situation, which is that he refuses orders to fire upon like a, a protest of 1500 people that are having a food riot. Um, and then, you know, later on they, they edit it, you know, very, it, 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 it was interesting to see how easily, uh, uh, you know, like the, the media could just basically do, you know, a sort of eighties version of what a deep fake would be now and just have people, you know, say things or edit things out. So that it looks like, Oh, suddenly you're the villain. Um, so, I mean, from, from a story point, you want to get the most unlikely character that would be, uh, introduced into this particular you know setting, which is a running man situation where it's a game show where, you know, the penalty is death. It's sort of a variation on the most dangerous game, except that there, this is the criminal justice system plus a way to, uh, give money away to, you know, certain people. Um, I just think of it also as a, as a question of just, they're not necessarily thinking of how the different classes interrelate possibly because of a blind spot, because, you know, if you're in a writer's room, you're probably not making a lot of contact with, you know, people that are lower down the rung in the social structure, you know? So there was something I noticed in this that I wanted to talk to you guys about, and it's not, it's not our area, but it's so jarring that I feel like we have to call it out. Um, did, did the phrase post-racial society float through your mind at any point during this? 
because I mean, given the given the the gross economic inequalities going on here, it was actually pretty amazing to me that one of the things that wasn't being done is, uh, at least on camera, is to pit people against each other by race. I mean, it was like a an oppression rainbow coalition. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think that's yeah what they th- that's one of the things that that i noticed when there was uh yeah they, when they're showing all these different classes if in the audience these different groups there's yeah there's there, there's diversity there in terms of like you say there's there's diversity among the poor there's diversity among the rich and it's yeah it's just a, another one of those areas i think where it's like you've just completely ignored like a massive dynamic <laughs> of society and just like you, you you've just um yeah You've just ignored that completely. So, so one other quick, one other side there. I I realised that um, yeah, if, if if this happened right, this this massacre at the beginning, uh, there were there's because obviously everyone hates Richards right for for what he's done. Like he's universally detested uh, criminal because of this editing that makes it look like he commit this massacre. Uh, in reality of course there would be the blue lives matter crew showing up to defend them because <laughs> antifa were in the food riot like and they had milkshakes with concrete in or whatever and he was just defending himself but um, yeah. yeah so I, re- I realized that that would have actually been the reality yeah well and, and i mean i think like if somebody made the movie now that would be one of the harshest critiques i i mean in 1987 like i i wouldn't have believed what people would bootlick over until yeah, I yeah. saw it over the past four years. It's just incredible to me. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, um, I, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that the, there is a, a remake coming up. I don't know if you read that Pete, uh, where Edgar. Wright oh my is God. Are you serious? It. Yeah. Edgar. Yeah, Wright, Edgar Wright, yeah. Uh, is going to be directing and Michael Bacall writing the script. So, We'll see what happens. It's in development, so we don't know when that's going to happen. But um, anyway, uh, the funny thing, or, or not the funny thing, I should say the the to add to that, uh, the one thing that they would they could do in the remakes would be to make sure that um, Ben Richards doesn't actually live in the city he patrols. To really, you know, drive home the point about uh, how police are usually recruited, but that's you know that's another story. Um, I did want to point out because, um, I think the, one of the, I'm going to go on a slight tangent surprise, Pete. Um, it's all good, man. Yeah. Uh, so I remember I, I just recently, like within the last 10 years, I read, uh, Fahrenheit 451 the first time for the first time. I hey, say. you want to know how I know you're, you're past middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> you read 1984 or Fahrenheit 451? Just recently was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yes, yes. Well, you know, that's true. Damn it, Pete. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> Sorry, I'm there with you. <laughs> it's all good. So anyway, so one of the things that um, I was discussing with people around me was that it, within the context of reading it in you know, pre 2016, uh, I, I came away thinking, well, this isn't, you know, what they're describing in Fahrenheit 451 isn't precisely it's using 
imagery that we saw like in, you know, like Nazi Germany and, and whatnot, but it's recontextualizing it in the United States. And I'm reading it in, you know, the, the late, you know, 2010s and I'm coming away with it. Like, Oh, this is completely like a market-based solution. It's not censorship in the sort of like the 1984 sort of Stalinist model. Uh, mm. Uh, it's more along the lines of what the market would do, which was would winnow out like, oh, we made houses fireproof because that was a dangerous. Well, we have to give the firemen a job now. Well, let's make it ironic. The firemen actually have to go in and prevent fire hazards. What are fire hazards in houses? Oh, books, of course. And, you know, since you already have TV, you know, that basically all four walls in your house are TV screens. Why would you ever want to read books? So that's my uh, tangent regarding how exactly I feel about Fahrenheit 451, which is that it takes like this weird imagery that at the time it was read or, or, or consumed was obviously, you know, everyone thought it was, you know, censorship in the McCarthy style or what have you. And I'm reading it later on and going like, well, this feels much more like just market realities that we've seen as consolidation has happened. and. The reason I mention all that is that I feel like a lot of the dissonance that I'm hearing about the running man is something that I had no clue about. Like I'm hearing from both of you regarding, you know, like what politics, what the politics are and whatnot. And it's funny because you know, prior when I was watching the running man, when I was, you know, whatever, 15 or 14 or whatever, I had no political ideas about anything. And now I'm like going like, okay. This is, I mean, sure, there is not a, a firm one-to-one correlation established, but I, I was making the leaps. And I think that that's the, I simply watched this, not necessarily uncritically, because I do believe uh, structure-wise, the last third just goes off into like sort of cloud cuckoo land, and it's fine for what they've established. But I was not thinking of it like, oh, wow, you know, the, the interrelations, because I'm also thinking of it as, you know, a, a, a series of story problems that were solved uh, in the storytelling process mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, you have to have a certain level of diversity on screen. Uh, you have to have this and you have to have a certain, and that's not necessarily, you know, I'm not ragging on, uh, on diversity on screen because representation to a certain degree is important to be able to see people like yourself. But uh, I do think that it's an interesting thing that this is a movie from the eighties that makes it a point to have plenty of Brown and black people on screen, even in the backgrounds. And we have to sort of fight it for that. Now it's, it's very strange to me. Yeah. Well, I do think that if I were making this film in the 1980s, which is a, a, brain melting thing for me to say but if i were one of the things i would be very worried about is people looking at it from a racial lens because that would tank my movie immediately and so i do have a feeling there was some meeting where they did exactly what you're talking about where they're like okay we need to make sure that that 15 percent of the characters spaced randomly are of different ethnicities like they they might have had a chart for all i know and I mean, it's just it's just such a fascinatingly bad way to approach this because, I mean, 
it's it's just like race is such an obvious fault line in America. And this, okay, Carlo, you wanted to talk about this. When was this taking place? Oh, this. (laughs) So, do you want the novel or the movie? Let's go with the movie. Yeah, the movie. It this all happens in twenty (laughs) seventeen. It's it's great, but you know the the novel. Uh, so we're we're not off the hook yet. The novel is happening in twenty twenty five. Yeah, I I don't at all feel like we're off the hook either way, man. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, well, and the the reality of it is that so to a certain degree, like to your point regarding being off the hook, and the sort of dissonance of well, why, you know, why is this, these particular classes in the movie not, uh, or, or not necessarily feeling at odds with each other, uh, in part is my thesis is that it's, they're not, they're not even paying attention to anyone below them. And, um, after, uh, 2020, uh, we, we've gone back to 1995, man. It's great. Uh, there's a plenty of people that are, that are actually represented, uh, even if it's not, you know, if it's not any much more than metaphorically by the audience members of the running man, they're perfectly fine with what they're watching. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, that I think this idea of them there, yeah, they haven't thought about it, like speaks to quite a lot of what's happening in the film. Like, I think there's, there's, um, there's there's just yeah a lack of thought to like every every in terms of the politics of it or like what what any of this means i i i don't think they've they've um thought about it at all um i had a point i was going to make there and it's just dropped completely from my head um never mind (laughs) well we can loop back around on it (laughs) i keep I, and this is a terrible thing to do when you're watching a film that you have issues with. But I kept thinking of things that you could do to make this film better. And I do have a laundry list. And the first one is, you know how they kept rolling out Cadre Cola? And that was sort of the, the nod to crass commercialism in the middle of all this? They could have really rolled with it. it it's incredible to me that they didn't have Hunter action figures. <laughs> yeah but yeah that's that's like i said like um that kind of yeah consumerism all, all that stuff is is that commodification it's just completely absent they don't they don't think about it and i remembered what i was gonna say which is so we, I, we and, and speaking on that point like yeah like i said there's there's no kind of mention of capitalism stuff like that we we might expect and and you mentioned this earlier pete that we have uh might have been you carlo uh, i can't remember but about you know the 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 kind of uh, the the deep paranoia that existed in in America around this time about communism and uh, socialism and whatever. But I, I don't. And then there are plenty of movies from around this this era that you can clearly see that like that's the 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 target to, to some degree. But I don't think you you find that here either. Like the the work camp kind of maybe has a bit of feel of gulag about it, perhaps. But um, apart from that, it doesn't feel like um, like communism is is particularly a target. Like it, it feels like there there's 
quite often a, a target lacking. Normally when you have a dystopia, right, part of the point is to to point to particular trends or, or particular systems or, or processes that are the source of, of this problem. And I think that part of the the kind of the, the, some of the things we keep talking about where we're, we're, we're kind of unsure about about what what it's trying to get to or or we're saying there's a lack of of coherence or clear idea there i think it's because it, it doesn't really have a vision of where it's this dystopia comes from it doesn't have a target apart from this kind of vague quite conservative idea that tv is like a base medium that encourages your worst instincts like that's that's as far as they they, they go i think yeah it I, I, uh, does anybody know off the top of their head when the first Robocop came out? Um, I think it was 84. I might be wrong. Let me check. Eight, oh, no, no. Yeah, you may be onto something here. Robocop nope. was 1987. 87, yeah. The oh, same okay. year as this. Yeah, because I was just thinking, like, like we're talking about, like obviously, genre film, and we're talking about crit- criticizing capitalism, stuff like this, and obviously, like, Hollywood genre films never going to be like, um, yeah, the, the politics never going to be be perfect. But it's often the case in genre film that you get this really interesting uh, conflicts, and it's like pulling in opposite directions in terms of its of its ideology. And I think that's why something like Robocop's so interesting because there is a vision of um, of as a dystopic, dystopic vision that has thought about like the, the the source of dystopia and what the trends are, and it has, I think it has, um, what you might call left wing politics in it. I think it's got conservative politics in it. I think this film has, in some sense, like an absence of politics, and that that's kind of what 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 it's lacking. The, the, the th- also the thing with Robocop, I, I noticed, you know, th- briefly in this, there was that, um, it showed a clip of that TV show climbing for dollars. Yes. Yeah. Which yep. felt to me like a very, uh, Paul Van Hoven. That's the Robocop guy, isn't it? Well, yeah, it also, yeah. it also reminded me, uh, of, um, in, uh, what is it? Uh, sorry to bother you. The, <laughs> was it get the shit kicked out of mm. you, uh, uh, game as well. Uh, that rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't it, seen. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely uh, sort of doing a little satirical uh, take on, you know, oh, look how awful, how look at how awful the other shows are. Yeah, but it, again, it's like it has this kind of, like it's almost the exact same thing that you'd you'd find in, in Robocop or, or other Paul Van Hoven films, but it it, does, it just lacks the, the critical bite, you know? Yeah. Well, it's I mean, like surface level, the same kind of thing, but it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I agree with that. Um, yeah, I I just wanted to, uh, like, I did want to point out that yeah, like RoboCop obviously is, uh, I would say, has a much more coherent. Uh, I don't know if it has a completely coherent worldview, but it definitely feels much much more uh, conscious of what the different sort of the different actors uh, systemic and otherwise are in the, like in the yeah. panorama, um, because this is literally framed, um, as sort of like a, a very consumerist TV show type of culture thing. Um, I, I did find it interesting because as you were mentioning that, you know, the, the conservative idea of like TV, 
uh, is a base medium, uh, mm. which is true. But I, I do think that yeah. like King's original idea is essentially, and it, it comes through here as well. It's essentially sort of a, a, a combination of, you know, pro wrestling, uh, type of personas, uh, battling in a ring and justice being meted out. Uh, I did want to point out that, uh, I did check it out and apparently, um, uh, two years after this movie came out, uh, this became the inspiration for American gladiators. Not a big surprise, but, uh, it's, it's important to mention that it's funny that you mentioned the, the, the commercial aspect, because this then becomes its own sort of like the same basic idea of it, except obviously not lethal. Uh, it becomes then a commercial project that lasts for, uh, I think it's almost a decade. After that, I, I, I think uh, that's sorry. No, go I, I was ahead. Just say, I, I think that's perhaps one area where it is maybe a bit more on, on the money, like that you mentioned this idea of like justice as entertainment, which I feel like is a very uh, American phenomenon. Um, and, and a, I mean, a you have bit. these these like police chases that get filmed by like helicopter, like <laughs> that just doesn't exist. Like where where I'm from, and you uh, do you still have you have uh, f- um, you can film courtrooms and stuff in America, right? Mm. Uh, Trials un- under the right circumstances. Yes, it, it's it's uh, now you can, you can't just walk in with a camera, but they they uh, oh no no, but I mean they're they're filmed and certain yeah. uh, certain ones only certain ones. Right. Okay. But like just, a, yeah, like that, if a that, cop that shoots somebody, you can forget it. That's not going to be filmed. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, um, and I, I do, I did want to point out, and I'm sorry, Pete, um, that uh, this is just binding together the old, you know, let's go, let's go down to the uh, the center square, you know, the old West tradition of going down to the center square and see who's going to get hanged today. Uh, and tying mm. it together with, you know, a, a TV show that came after this, which is cops, you know, uh, it's more or less. Uh, and, and obviously cops has been sort of falling out of favor and it finally got canceled, I believe, uh, last year, uh, or at least canceled temporarily. Uh, but there have been other, I forget which one it is. Is it nine one one emergency is like a weird web series as well. Oh, there's a bunch of them like yeah, that. It's my- ghoulish, ghoulish shit. Yeah. So, um, I've, I've got a little inside baseball about the, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking to, uh, to someone in Europe and I'm using baseball analogies. Sorry. Uh, what I mean is, um, information about the film that, that is really just about filmmaking and not about the plot itself that might help us to interpret some of what's going on here. Which is that was originally this this film was originally being uh, filmed by uh, who was it Andrew Davis and he got fired about a third of the way through and replaced by someone else and Schwarzenegger hates the guy who replaced it said he turned the whole thing into a game show. Hmm. Ah, interesting. So hmm. maybe maybe there was. I mean, I had mentioned it before, but maybe there was a more radical version of the script and this is the reshoots guy and and it it could also be that schwarzenegger is just bitchy i have no idea (laughs) well i mean that's at this point he he can almost afford to be because i believe he's already coming off of like a couple of good hits 
this is pre last action hero. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That, that's when it ended for him. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that he could afford to be that way because he, he'd sort of become like the king of schlock action movies. I, I just realized something. Schwarzenegger is our most covered actor. There we go. Cause we've done the running man. We've done last action hero. Um, I, I did. Oh gosh. What did I do? Uh, total recall with a guest. Mm-hmm, true. True. That's puts uh, us right over. Well, did you do, have we done Terminator yet? Yes. Oh my God. We've done oh, Terminator wow. too. <laughs> Well, you might as well just finish the whole over and over. Uh, it's time for Predator, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could do Predator 1 and then do Predator 2, which has Danny Glover, who's a comrade. Uh, yes. Yeah, so wait, if 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 uh, Danny Glover's a cop, who's who's the hero? <laughs> Zing! <laughs> He's on one, folks. <laughs> So, uh, could I could I yeah. ask you guys what what you because I, I mentioned this right at the top like what you made of the kind of uh, yeah the sexual politics of it so for example the the right from the the kind of very bizarre vision of uh, Amber Amber Mendez the um, the kind of a uh, yeah love interest of, of Arnie in this film in her who for some reason is working out. Um, doing weights or whatever on a workout bench, wearing like lingerie for some reason. Yes, <laughs> like what is what is going on there? And then she gets tied to it. Yes, yeah. see, yeah, so, so, so yeah, she begins. She begins, yeah, working out in like her sexy little lace nighty or whatever. I don't know why she's decided to wear that to work out. Um. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is who is in the flat, is also in his pants for some reason. Uh, his, I'm sorry, I'm using the wrong terminology for Americans in his underwear <laughs> uh, for, for some reason. Uh, I don't know why. And then, yeah, she's tied up like some weird kind of... Bo- it's very bizarre. Well, it felt the, so to me anyway. Well, And there was a much darker example of this. And I've been dying to use this man's name. But the actor who played Dynamo, Erlen Van Lith de Jude, who, in <laughs> fact... Did, do you remember that scene he had where he was killed? Yes. Yes. Abs... Like, what did that contribute to anything? Like, that, they made that guy attempt to molest her twice. And it added nothing to the film on any level. And he was on camera for one of them. Yeah. Yep. And it, it was kind of played, I feel like, a bit for comedy as well, which is not what you want to be doing. Well, um, I, I think that there's there's also, like, there's that scene where um, Amber Mendez is played by Maria Conchita Alonso, who, between her and Rachel Tykerton, had, like, uh, some serious seriously great roles in these schlocky action films. Uh, but, um, she is at the office buying her friend. Uh, I forget it was like a soda yeah, or something like and the friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. they, they march Ben Richards like bound, uh, you know, at his ankles and, and, and wrists and whatnot past, they march him past them. And her friend who, <laughs> is sitting there like smoking a cigarette, like goes like something like, Oh yeah, he would 
something. She just says something really weirdly and darkly lascivious, and then smokes. I, I, could, I, I can remember. If oh you, yeah. yeah, it's he like says, I don't. Says, if he um, wanted to do something, nobody could stop him. And it's like, oh come on, yeah, man. She, she's yeah. She says, uh, luckily he didn't kill you, or rape you, or kill you, and then rape you. A guy like that, what would stop him? And she seems to be very turned on by this. Yes. Which is, again, what? So I, I think you can... So just to, to to rewind a bit, there's that bit in the, in the scene we mentioned where where she's tied up, where um he's he's kind of he's gonna he's kind of planning his escape, and he's like I'm, I'm gonna take you with me, I guess because he he needs a pass or whatever I, I don't know. But she's like, why would I go with you? And he he grabs the workbench which is riveted to the floor, and he rips it up with one arm, and it's kind of um it's obviously like I, I think this whereas this shows the part of the film is like a, an artifact of a certain idea of, of masculinity and a certain idea of, of women and how men should relate to them. A very, a very troubling idea. He's kind of, um, it's a display of power over her. It's a, a threat of violence against a woman who's tied up in her underwear. And this is supposed to be our hero. Well, don't, um, yeah, don't forget that the bench is supposed to be viewed um, phallically rising as she's straddling it <laughs> so yeah not not exactly the best image it is definitely like i, I think you're onto something that yeah it, this might yeah, and, and then i'm oh, sorry go ahead sorry I was say, direct, directly after that there's the, the, the scene where he's got he's like says oh, oh, i can break your neck like a chicken and he's walking around along with his massive hand around her neck and she looks very afraid and it, it's Again, it just feels, yeah, again, this is meant to be our hero. And then you combine it with that scene that we just mentioned where she's yeah mentioning about like he could, if he wanted, he can do anything he wants you. And she's clearly very excited by this. And I don't think this is presented as any kind of um, critique of like masculinity or whatever. This is a reinforcement that being powerful and being a threat to women is a good thing it's attractive uh to women it's a very healthy thing yeah that that's what it that's what the idea is that i think's being communicated well and, and i think it's reinforced even further at the end where there is absolutely no chemistry between <laughs> between ben richardson no. and uh and and amber mendez and at the end oh he pulls her close and you know like forcibly pulls her close and as yeah. if you know, she had always wanted this. Kisses her full on, and you know, I think that's more or less roll to credits. Uh, it's it's a very strange, and I do agree that 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 does not at all feel healthy at all. I do want to point out that I, I have to wonder if uh, Arnold had it in his contract. He had to do some strongman thing on camera to you know, yeah to really cement the brand you know yeah he is oh she how do we put this sometimes a character does not advance the plot in any way and you have to ask yourself why that character was put in and she is a classic example like uh she's not in the novel at all. And if you removed her from this, all you would need is a way for him to get a plane ticket and somebody to remember a string of numbers. Those are the only two things she contributes. 
Oh, Pete. I think it doesn't even really make sense that because he he steals the 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 pass from her for the ticket, doesn't he? So it doesn't even really make sense that he needs her there. Yeah, I, I, maybe <laughs> he was just lonely. I don't know. It's it's like it, it's appalling. Oh, Pete. See, this is what I. This is very very suspect, Pete. You know, the one the you don't want it to be the running woman, and now you want to eliminate the only woman that's important to the plot here. Sus, my well, friend. Sus. Yeah, I, 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 I'll, I'll contemplate my crimes. I do have a good topic <laughs> changer. Do you? Did you notice who the leader of the resistance was? Um. Oh, you mean uh, uh-huh. Mick? Uh, Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. Yeah, he was the drummer for Fleetwood Mac. Why is he there? What is happening? Well, his lieutenant was Dweezil Zappa, so I mean, <laughs> it made sense. Was it? Yes. Oh, I did. I saw Dweezil Zappa in the opening credits. And I was oh like, my god! Oh, yeah. Didn't know that was the him. little dude with the beret. <sighs> yeah, I, I remember him because I I I thought Weenie. I've I've got to confess. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's just of the period. I think um, at the time, uh, Dweezil and Moon Unit <laughs> were were big in MTV. So that was probably like a stunt casting to get people. I, I don't know what Mick Fleetwood was doing in there, but uh, okay. Yeah, I'm you not just kind of have to roll with it. I mean, maybe that was just the uh, that was the the boomer. Uh, musical symbol that you wanted to have in there to draw in the boomer crowd as well. Yeah. Lots of pro wrestlers as well. This film or two. Well, there, there is, I uh, I, I suppose this is the second time that he'd, uh, been with, uh, Jesse Ventura. Yes. Uh, on screen. So, yeah. uh, I did want to, uh, I, I did want to point out that, um, is it Sam? Wait, what is the name of his, uh, it, it just stuck out to me because um, Sub Zero, <laughs> we 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 talked about Mortal Kombat and <laughs> the first uh, the first Stalker as uh, as the oh no I'm sorry that's uh, Toru Tanaka who was yeah. odd job in Goldfinger, a villain in <laughs> uh, the odd job villain in in uh, Last Action Hero, and I forget what else. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I, you know, I thought it was him, but I wasn't going to call it out unless I was 100% sure because I, you talk about canceling yourself. (laughs) Well, that that is true. (laughs) That is true. So, you know, folks, if, if I got this wrong, you know, that that's it folks, I'm canceled. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, you know, he, he was, let's put it this way, a professor sub zero, Worked very hard to get where he he was today, all the way from TA Sub Zero. Okay, uh, it's very That's bad nice. that Ben Richardson canceled him instead. <laughs> he had tenure; it was murder. Yeah, I mean, come but, on. Uh, I um I, I suspect that we have gone as far down this well as it will go. Um. Do you guys agree? Are there other things you want to want to talk about with the running man? I mean, we could apply it to something interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I did want to point out that uh, the guard, one last thing, the guard uh, that uh, 
that uh, Killian has is uh, acted by he his character's name is Sven, and the actor's name is Sven Orle Thorson, who uh, we we do have a connection with. The, we need to talk about Kevin Crowd because he was uh, the uh, security guard, the mall the mall cop uh, in Mallrats. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's sort of funny to to see all these little tiny connections. Anyway, that's all I had. Okay, well, if, if Paul agrees, I would like to change gears here and have this be the Paul show for a minute because, I mean, he has a podcast and other projects going on, and I want to hear about them. Of course I agree to this becoming the Paul show. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, at the moment, I, I have, well, not as we're speaking, but, but, but by the time you're hearing this, um, I have a Kickstarter up for a book uh, called Object-Oriented Exploring Video Games Through Items, which um, kind of comes out for a po- from a podcast I used to do called Get Object, which I know some of the Podside listeners uh, are familiar with. Um, so essentially, it's it's uh, a book divided into chapters where each chapter will be discussing a category of items from games, so like keys, maps, clothes, uh, food, all these all these kind of things. And yeah, the, the idea is to kind of look at some of the most uh, notable examples and, and think about what makes them stand out, but also to to kind of use the use these objects as a lens to reflect on how their implementation reflects elements of our of our culture of our society of our politics use that as a way of kind of analyzing these games but also reflecting back uh on our lived reality um so and i'm i'm working on that with a friend of mine who's a professional designer so it's gonna have uh yeah it's gonna have images in it's gonna be a full color book it's gonna look nice um and it would be very cool if people could could check it out. I mean, the the Kickstarter pitch video is like two and a half minutes long, and I think that pretty much will give you a good idea of, of what it's about. And you you can see some sample spreads we've made to give you an idea of what it looked like uh, as well. So probably the easiest way to find that if you want to to check it out is either um, go on my Twitter, Utopian Horizons, or get object book which is the 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 get object twitter that i've commandeered and there'll be a link to it on there um so yeah it'd be cool if people could could look at that and yeah i have a podcast called utopian horizons which is about utopias and dystopias uh where you can find among other things coverage of some of the films we mentioned robocop predator 2 um all sorts of uh Genre sci-fi is uh, in film form, but also novels and political movements and uh, all kinds of, of other things. So, yeah, you can just search for Utopian Utopian Horizons uh, on whatever podcasting you use, and you'll find that there. I think we will also uh, link to your work and hopefully to the Kickstarter uh, when we publish this, assuming it's it's out and ready to go. It'll be it's out and ready to go by the by the time this episode's up for sure. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, it, final thoughts, anybody? Carlo, how you doing? I'm doing all right, and I guess I am canceled because I misspoke. Uh, Harold Sakata was uh, the person who played Odd Job. 
a little older than Toru Takata. Actually, uh, Toru Takata. It's just. <laughs> aren't they related? Uh, they they were both born born in Hawaii. Uh, but no, they're. I don't believe that they're related. This is uh Professor Tanaka who played Professor Sub Zero. <laughs> it's such a great name. Uh, was Charles J. Kalani Jr. So. There you have it, folks. I've canceled myself. <laughs> That's such a good way to end this. But he was also in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. As well, yes. Apparently. Yes. yes. I, as you can tell, we're both on Wikipedia suddenly. <laughs> what? No way. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Um, everybody, hope you enjoyed this. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we got to cover all the sci-fi movies, even the ones that aren't perfect so uh if you don't like this one my recommendation is to increase your subscription to the patreon just saying <laughs> Good idea. yes yes maybe maybe if you pay us more much like ben richardson the cop if you pay us more and give us more budget we can do a better job yeah, at one point early on, somebody actually did that. Like we were talking about, you know, people would send in uh, DMs and they'd be like, you know, please cover this, please cover this. And this person said, please cover this and did a D- DM of their um, subscription to the Patreon. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that is the best argument I've ever seen for this kind of thing. Dance for me, monkey. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, yes, okay, dancing it is. Okay, well, yeah, and if 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 people d- did enjoy this, they can blame me for 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 selecting it. Yeah, you don't you don't have to work, do that, Paul. It was me. It was all me. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, it's there's there's sort of a Venn diagram of where your work and our work overlaps, and it's it's a bunch of movies that are various levels of things going wrong, because utopians tend to be less interesting movies, so what we're left with are the dystopias, so it makes sense. Yeah, but, and I think even though, like, even if you don't think it's a good movie, it's uh, an interesting artifact of, of, the, of the time, I think. Yeah, I, I 100%. Think, yeah, I think it, it's always interesting, like, we, we, we covered... Uh, a couple of movies recently like Mortal Kombat where you know yeah. that is by no stretch a perfect movie but it is a fun movie and it's it sort of is bad in interesting ways uh, which also I think is is always great to, to try to analyze why it doesn't exactly work and why that doesn't matter I have a feeling that we're getting to the point where we're having like our after episode discussion and the tape is rolling. So let's hit that button. All right. I'll push that button, Frank. All right. (laughs) 